If you would, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 10. It's been a couple weeks since that we were here. It was good to have our missionary friends from Malta, the Pinkstons. And thanks for Brother Scott last week preaching in Ephesians 2. And it really ties in great with this week. Uh, I think it was unplanned. Previously, we did see in chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, how God is that good shepherd. And we looked at that. He's not like those false shepherds and those false leaders of Israel who abandoned them to idolatry. No, the Lord cares tenderly for his people. And now we're going to see God is this good shepherd and his, the care of the flock. That's going to be given in more detail. All right? So we're going to start reading in verse 6. And our outline for today is going to, we're going to see the basis of God's salvation, the call to salvation, the motive of salvation, and the fruit of salvation. So verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will, I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before, though I scattered them among the nations. Yet... In far countries, they shall remember me. And with their children, they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. They shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low. And the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord. And they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Amen. So let's look at this uh, passage together. Just Let's start with the... The basis of salvation, starting there in verse 6. You notice verse 6 says, I will strengthen the house of Judah. And then look at verse 12. I will strengthen them and make them strong in the Lord. So I want you to picture verse 6, verse 12 as bookends. All right? Two, two bookends. And, and filling in between those bookends, you've got uh, one statement after another. A string of of promises that God speaks to his people. And each one of those promises begins with, I will. You see that? I will. This is what God means when he says, I will strengthen them. So six times here, six times, this English phrase is repeated. God declares his intention to act. So verse six, I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back. The end of verse 6, I will answer them. Look at verse 8, 
I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. Verse 10, I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon. So this strengthening work of God in the lives of his people, it's going to be the saving, redeeming, restoring work where he brings his people home. Okay? The great repeated phrase, though, did you notice? Time and again, what's he say? I will. I will. I will strengthen. I will save. I will redeem. I will bring back. So, friends, there's no doubt, is there, who the initiator or the agent of salvation, the salvation being promised here, it's no no question who's the initiator of it, right? Who's the agent of it? God is mighty to save. He says, I will, I will. The declaration of God to sinners, sinners who need saving, is a God who says, I will, I will. The gracious act, the initiative of God is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Oh, the glorious act, it's his. We saw that last week in Ephesians 2, didn't we? By grace you have been saved, through faith. It's not of your, your own doing. We're powerless, we're helpless, we're dead in our trespasses, Scott pointed out. That's who we are. God, in his saving strength, he intervenes. He, Ephesians 2, makes us alive together with Christ. It's all of grace, and it's all a gift, isn't it? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul can say, to the praise of the glory of his marvelous grace, because it's all of grace. I will save, I will redeem. I, I will redeem from sin and from death. I will save. So Christian, if you're a Christian in this room, hear me very clearly, you owe him all the praise. All the praise. Why? Because he is the agent of salvation. He brings out. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. You are helpless. But he says, I will save. I will redeem. Praise him for it. Praise him for your salvation. You'll be doing that for all eternity. But some of you, maybe... Some of you think that salvation is something that, that you've got to qualify for. Like, I've got to be good enough to be saved. I've got to qualify for salvation. I need to deserve. So if I can clean up these areas of my life, then I will deserve to be saved, and then God will save me. Some of you may wrestle with that. You're like, salvation is something I have to initiate. But the truth, friends, is far worse and far better than you think it is. It's worse because, bad news, you're not able to do anything about it. You're not able to qualify for God's salvation. You only deserve, all of us, we only deserve his wrath, his displeasure, his judgment. That's what we deserve. We are dead by nature, helpless, unable. That's bad news. I am lost, I'm going to hell, I can't do anything about it. 
I can't. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he's loved us, he delights to rescue dead sinners, to make them alive in union with Christ. The gift of salvation through faith, he brings that. You know, you can't earn your salvation. You can't earn it. That's a fool's errand. If you're here and you think, if I am good enough, God will be pleased with me. It's a fool's errand. You'll never be able to if you spend your whole lifetime trying to. It won't, will not happen. This God's salvation is a free gift. Free, gracious. It's offered generously for nothing to all and every. Here is salvation. Come to Christ. Friends, salvation belongs to the Lord. Its basis, him. He says, I am willing. I will save. I will strengthen. I will redeem. I will bring back. Now, is that good news that he's able to do that? Yeah. Because otherwise, we're left to our own estate. If, you, if you're hearing you're not a Christian, he's willing to save you, even the likes of you. Scripture says he's willing to save to the uttermost all those who come to God by Christ Jesus. That's the basis. He's the actor. It's, it's from God. Salvation is of the Lord. But then look at verses 8 through 10. You see the call of salvation here. And it's a little bit different. You might have, read, even as we read it, it might seem kind of weird. Here's God whistling? What's going on here? Well, here's that great theme of the shepherd again. It's coming up. Here's, here's the, the good shepherd. He's whistling for his flock. Perhaps you've read the account of uh, David Barton over a century ago um, where he's talking about he was uh, interacting with this um, Bedouin shepherd. And as they're talking, all this shepherd's flock just wanders off into the rocks. They all go off their own way. And he's talking to the shepherd. The shepherd's not even paying any attention. Like the sheep are just wandering away. And then after the conversation, the shepherd brings, pulls out a whistle. He, the sheep are trained to recognize that whistle. And as he blew it, and as he played it, they all flock together and gathered in close together with him. All right? Jesus speaks of his own ministry, saving ministry, in similar what terms, doesn't he? The similar language. That he is the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. He, he calls them by name. He leads them out. He goes before them. They follow him. They know his voice. He calls them. Now, in the Bible, uh, you see that language of call used in a couple different ways. One is a very general way. This language of call, very general. So it's a general call. It goes out to every single individual all the time. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears. Sometimes it's thought about a little bit, then rejected. It, but it goes out to everyone. It's what Paul says in the book of Acts, that they call all men everywhere to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the ways in which the Bible uses this word of calling. But there's also this effectual calling. 
It draws and it attracts and it, it inclines them to come. They, they hear and, and the flock hears and, and they follow in behind the good shepherd. And so like First Peter chapter 2, 9, that we are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. First Corinthians 1, 9, we are called into fellowship with Christ. Uh, Romans 8, you know that famous passage, verses 28 through 30, where those who are called, they are justified and they are glorified. Now, everybody who ever hears a gospel message and rejects it, they're not going to be glorified. But those who answer that gospel call, they will be glorified. They will be justified. They will be glorified. It, it is such a, even the term, we are the called. And everyone who generally receives that gospel call don't fall in that category. But in this efficacious, this, this acting call, wherein God calls and you hear? And so maybe that's today, right? To maybe today you hear the gospel call. You hear it, and you, you just dismiss it, and you go in your way, right? You hear the gospel proclaimed, and you just go on, and you hear the summons, you call, you hear the call, come to Christ, repent, and you leave. That's that general call. But there's some of you, and maybe even right now, you hear this gospel call. You hear the Savior calling you. You say, I'm dead in my sins. I've got no hope except for Christ. Jesus, like we just say, Jesus then becomes beautiful in your sight. He's whistling, and you hear it, and you come after. He's whistling in the preaching of the word. He's calling. And uh, yeah, it's falling on deaf ears of uh, Time and again, it, that gospel message has washed over you hundreds of times, week after week after week. You've come, you've heard it, yeah, you know all about it, you've lived. But today, for somehow, it's different. The word comes with power. The, the spirit takes the word of God and, and through it, now Jesus is there before you. And I will follow Christ. Those chains that held you in sin, broken. And now, you know what? I'm going to get up and follow Jesus. So I say, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, come to Jesus right now. He's calling in the preaching of his word. Come. His flock, his sheep. They hear his voice. They know him. Don't put it off. Then do you see the motive of salvation? God initiates this. Yeah, yeah. He calls us. But why? Why would he do that? It was actually in several of the songs that we sang. I didn't even realize it until I'm singing it today. Why would God do that? I mean, Israel here in Zechariah chapter 10, they have repeatedly been unfaithful, haven't they? Even back in verse 2. Remember what they were doing in verse 2? They had run after household idols. 
So they spent some time in exile. They come back out of exile. And what do they do? They bring these household items, idols with them. They do not deserve salvation. Why would God extend these promises of sweet grace when people don't deserve it, when people really deserve judgment? Why would he gather them in and not send them back out to exile? Why would he give them mercy and not wrath? Well, there's a motive here that's given, and then how, what that motive produces. So first off, look at the motive. Verse 6. I will do it because I have compassion on them. That's the bottom line. God, in his compassionate love, saves sinners, doesn't he? This is, Aaron read Ephesians 1, 3, 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. But why? Why would he save sinners? Why would he do that? Why would he save anyone? That is the big question. Sometimes you hear people say, well, why would God send anyone to hell? That's the wrong question. That's what we all deserve, the real question. Why would God save anyone at all? And the answer, Paul says, in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ. It's in love. It's because he loves us. He fixes his love on sinners. Why love the unlovely? It's because of the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God. This is who he is. This is the absolute grounds for our salvation. Here it is. Here's the motive. Why does God save sinners? Because he loves us. He loves us. Say, why does he love us? He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he loves you. don't earn it. He loves you because he loves you. He has compassion on you because he loves you. Now, some of you might say, yeah, I know, but I feel like God is hostile towards us. Like he's hostile towards me. Like you've lived with a hostile earthly father and that's all you can think about. So you can't imagine having a heavenly father who is actually good and loving and, and you don't have to earn that. You know better. You say better. But somewhere deep in your psyche there's these corners of nagging doubt that you know what, maybe... Maybe at best God has a reluctance, kind of this grudging okay towards me. And you live your whole life in, in, on some kind of spiritual probation that God's just tolerating me until I mess up. That, or, or maybe Jesus twisted the Father's arm into accepting us. Maybe you think that. May you live that way every day on probation that his love for you is just hanging by this thread and it's depending on how good I do and what are my best efforts and, and oh, my daily obedience. As long as I'm obedient, maybe you'll keep on loving me. Can I tell you, nothing could ever be further from the truth than that. Nothing is further from the truth because God so loved the world 
That is the stinking, festering cesspool of human filth and rebellion. Us shaking our fists at him, saying, you will not rule over me. God loves us, and he gives his son to save us. God saves us. The love of God. This is the great motive for our salvation. Uh, The love of God. It's the great reason for the cross of Christ. He demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is where we see the the motive of God saving any of us. If you're a Christian, can I say, what's security? Isn't this security? It doesn't depend on how good and how perfectly obedient. If you're a perfectionist here, would you hear that? Your perfection does not sway the love of God. It's not because of how good you are that God loves you. He's given his son when you are at your worst. Why? To make you his. So guess what? You are safe. You are safe. And that motive of the love of God, it's carried out here. Notice some of the language is a bit odd. We've seen that in Zechariah. But notice in verse 8, you've got this the whistling shepherd. He's calling his own. And then this language sounds like the Exodus, doesn't it? And matter of fact, anytime you see, when you see in the Old Testament, this word redemption, the redemption of Israel, he's talking about the Exodus. He's, he, how he freed them from the slavery and bondage in Egypt. It's a picture of salvation. He acted and he rescued them and he will not forsake them. But now look at verse 11. He takes that language of the Exodus And it's elaborated on, and it's built upon, isn't it? Because this isn't, remember, this is, they're coming back out of exile here. They're back in the land now. But he goes back to the book of Exodus, the same events. He uses these big events. So notice in this, this is a new passage through a new sea. It's not the Red Sea now, it's the Sea of Trouble. Notice now there's a drying up of a river. Not the Jordan River, but the mighty Nile. Notice there's a new victory over ancient enemies. Not just Egypt like before, but now Egypt and Assyria. Notice this multiplying of the people of God, that they're going to fill the whole land and they're going to overflow in their abundance. When they come home, it's going to be a multitude nobody can number. This is an exodus, but this is an exodus on a global scale. Particularly, notice the change of the pronouns in verse 11. Who's going to accomplish this new exodus? It's not God, because God is the speaker. And it's not Judah, it's not Israel, because they're constantly referred to as they and them. But here's someone designated as he. (laughs) He will pass through the sea of trouble. He will strike down the waves of the sea. He will undergo this new exodus by which redemption is secured for God's people. Well, who is this one? Who is this he? 
Who is it? He who will redeem God's people. In verse 4, he was seen as the cornerstone. Back in chapter 9, verse 9, he was that king who was riding on a donkey. Who is he? Friends, it is Jesus Christ who comes and he goes through the sea of trouble on the cross for us and for our salvation. He, he is the paschal lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He, Christ, is the one who comes and seeks and saves the lost. This is a new and a greater exodus. It's a true, it's a final redemption that's accomplished for all of us. He loves us because he loves us. And he loves us. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to rescue us, to redeem us. Those two motives, that motive and that action of that motive, that he loves you and he has sent his son to rescue you, friends, that binds you to him forever and ever. You are his and he will never let you go. What does Paul say? What, therefore, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. Neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, heights nor depths, any, nothing in all of creation, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christian, you are eternally loved. You are a blood-bought sheep. In the shepherd's fold. He won't lose you. He won't lose you. You are safe and secure. Because God is your shepherd. And uh, so there's the motive of salvation. Finally, just quickly, look at the fruit. We're, we'll just walk, point out a couple of these. How about that? Uh, notice, what's the fruit of salvation? Notice verse 6, there is restored communion with God. Communion that had been broken by the fall, uh, this communion is restored. That's what you get when God saves you, restored communion. We now have the spirit of sonship. The spirit of God is in our hearts, thereby we can cry to him and call him our father. That's what you get. Look at the second thing, verse 7. Look at the fruit of salvation here. Joy. Joy. That's a mark of our lives, Christian. The, do you know that? The Christian has reason for joy. If you struggle with darkness and depression, hear this. Let your faith be the source of your joy. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And that ought to show... Now, that doesn't mean you walk around with a goofy grin all the time. But the joy that God gives you should show, even if you're a grumpy old Baptist. It should show. This, this is what you get when God saves you. You have a restored uh, communion with God, and you have joy like you've never had before. So, I just are you saved? Have you ever been rescued? From the bondage of sin and slavery to sin? Have you been adopted as a child of God? You're now in the family of God. You've been brought into the household of the king of glory. Then rejoice. Rejoice. Third 
fruit that you see here? Obedience. Verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name. Obedience. You will walk. When the Lord saves you, you will walk in his name. Because he'll make you strong. You're not doing that in your own might and power. He will make you strong. There is grace to obey. There is grace to say no to sin and say yes to obedience. When God saves you. If you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, you're going to be marked by obedience. It's one of the fruit of salvation. So, restored relationship, joy, and obedience. Do those mark your life? I hope so. If not, come to Christ. Hear the call. That is the basis of salvation, the call of salvation, the motive of salvation, and the fruit of salvation. Sole Deo Gloria. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for so great a salvation. Help us. Keep us from neglecting it. May we be uh, faithful and active in uh, sharing and announcing it and proclaiming it to all the world. Teach us to trust in you. That we water and we sow you bring the increase. And we praise you, Lord, because uh, as we sang, even as we ran our hell-bound race, and if you had not loved us first, we would have never loved you. This is what John says. We love because you first loved us. We praise you, O Lord. You are glorious. Lord, for those who are not believers today, Lord, may they hear the voice of Christ calling them home. May they hear it. That it would not be a voice that they could just shuck off and ignore. But may they behold, perhaps even for the first time, that Christ is their only hope for this life or the next. And may they run to the Jesus. And may they know all the, every spiritual blessing that comes to us in Christ. And may their lives be lived for you because you loved us. Help us as, as your children uh, to, to bask in and to uh, revel in the love that you have shown towards us in saving us. And may this fruit be seen in our lives. May we not just say we have a relationship with you, O oh Lord, but may we day by day live that out, interacting, being in your word, in prayer, before your throne, praising you, O oh Lord, day by day by day. May it mark our lives. May joy mark our lives, that though this world is filled with thorns and thistles and troubles and, and misery and death, oh, your joy is our strength. You have redeemed us. We are new in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. We are filled with joy. Your spirit within us is produced fruit. And that fruit, one of the identified fruit is joy. 
Mark us, O Lord, by that. And mark us, let that fruit be seen in obedience. If we say we are your children, Lord, let it not be words only. But let us seek to be obedient as our Savior was obedient to you. As he was perfectly obedient. May we follow in his steps. Keep us, guard us against false teachings and the lies of the evil one that says your love is based on how good we do. No. We thank you that you love us because you love us. And it's not from anything we are or who we are. It's because of who you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.